before van life, I was just so, you know, I held on so tight to things, you know, I wouldn't relax. But being in that vulnerable space of not knowing how I'm going to make money, how I'm going to put, you know, gas in the tank or anything like that, or, or where my career is going, you know, it created space for, for me to learn how to release let go and allow. And when I started doing that, the world started opening up for me. And I know it sounds super flowery, but it's the truth. Naomi Grevenberg is an activist, podcaster, and entrepreneur. In 2016, she and her husband, Dustin, left their home in New Orleans and moved into a 1985 Volkswagen van. They originally planned to live in their van for a year, driving around the United States. But one year turned into two years, which turned into three years, and they've now been at it for six years, and they aren't planning on stopping anytime soon. Naomi and Dustin are committed to making van life sustainable in multiple ways. They figured out how to make a living as digital nomads, they try to practice a zero-waste lifestyle, and Naomi has created a community of BIPOC and LGBTQ van lifers with their platform, Diversify Van Life. I'm Shelby Stanger. And this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. Naomi grew up on the island of Trinidad in the Caribbean. When she was a kid, she learned about Alaska and the Aurora Borealis, also known as the Northern Lights. Ever since then, it's been her dream to get out there and see it for herself. In her late teens, Naomi came to the U.S. for college. After graduating, she fell into a more traditional lifestyle with an apartment and a nine to five job. That lifestyle though, contributed to some mental health challenges for Naomi. So she and her husband decided it was time to make a change. Naomi Grevenberg, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thank you, thank you so much for having me, Shelby. I'm really excited for our chat today. Where are you right now? I am in Zion area. I've been here for the past week or so, and it's been so damn windy. I thought my van was going to blow away yesterday. (laughs) But last night, actually, we had like 60 mile per hour gusts. But it's been really beautiful, um, sunny. You've had a lot of wild ideas. How did you get the wild idea to just quit your job and become a full-time Van lifer, eco-activist, coach, adventurer. What were you doing before, first of all? Well, before I was an environmental scientist, like right out of college. And that was pretty great. You know, I mean, I really loved what I did. I got to work outdoors in the swamps and marshes of, you know, Louisiana. It's just such a beautiful, unique landscape. And I was really passionate about it. But, you know, in college, the day I met my partner, actually, I shared with him an idea that I've been stewing on for many years. You know, it's like, wouldn't it be cool to travel the country in a van and visit all the national parks? And, you know, like after graduation, we went on to careers. We went on to like, you know, just building that that life, that roadmap. You know, just following that roadmap that most people say that you have to follow. So we were doing that, right? And then, you know, like I just started to struggle with depression and anxiety. I just started feeling like I wasn't, you know, fulfilling my dreams. I wasn't becoming the person that I wanted to be. I was moving much further away from that. So in the process, you know, I decided, well, you know what, maybe I should just dig up this old dream 
that I had shared with my partner years ago about traveling the country in a van and visiting all the national parks. And so one day I met him in the kitchen after work, cooked dinner. And I said, hey, you know what? I got something I want to share with you. And he's like, well, you know what? I have something I want to ask you. And it was seriously the most serendipitous thing that's ever happened to me because he wanted to do the same thing. What? I have total goosebumps. That's crazy. I think that's so interesting. First of all, amazing that you leapt and made the leap. To actually make the leap is really, really hard. So talk to me about how did you know? Did it just come to you that night? Like what was the sign when you were making dinner and, and your husband and you both just needed to talk talk to each other? Like had there been events brewing that built up to that or did it just like, was it just random? Well, yeah, the events leading up to it, definitely. He found me one evening curled up on the couch mid panic attack and you know, for a long time, I was suffering alone in this space of anxiety and depression. He he didn't know. Nobody knew. None of my friends, my family members. Until that day, he found me on the couch. And that was the day that kind of made me realize that I couldn't continue this way. So I started to reevaluate my life's trajectory and started that, you know, wondering the what ifs, you know, there's got to be something else. There's got to be more. Like, is this it? We you know, go to college, we get the job, we buy the house, we have the kids, you know, and nothing's wrong with that. But it just didn't feel like it was the right path for me. Yeah. Is this it is such a powerful question. It's really hard, though, to take that leap to then say, I don't think this is it. I think there's more out there. Right. So how did you guys all of a sudden, I mean, both of you came to each other at the same time, you had this wild idea, okay, let's do it. But then to actually do it is another thing. So talk to me about that process <laughs> and what went through your head. Well, what went through my head was like, we got to do it now or we're going to talk ourselves out of it. So we basically gave ourselves three months to get the van, quit our jobs and hit the road. And that's what we did. I mean, I don't recommend it to most people, but you know, I am a head first in kind of person. So we just pretty much dove in immediately. Speed is your friend when it comes to wild ideas. Oh, I love that. Okay. So wait, you got yourself, let's back up. Okay. You went out and you bought a van. Yeah, we did. We went out and we bought a 1985 Volkswagen Vanagon. It showed up two weeks before we were ready to hit the road in our backyard in Mobile, Alabama. I mean, we're talking this was the infancy of van life. Like van life was still, you know, not even on the radar. So what, we were what looking, year is this? This is in 2016. Okay. And we're living all the way down in Louisiana. So we knew no one who had done this. And no one who was living in a van. So it was really difficult to find a van down down there. All the all the rigs that were even livable were on the West Coast. And, um, you know, we, we found a few uninhabitable options, you know, and then a couple with like mattresses thrown in the back. And we were like, well, that's not going to do it. And then we kept searching and we found a Volkswagen bus, which, you know, it's the epitome of freedom and revolution and radical living. And it just, I love the colors and I love that it was equipped with, you know, the teeny tiny kitchen and it already had beds. So we were like, okay, this is the rig that we wanted. 
And we decided to fly to Colorado where there were two that we wanted to test drive, but they were rusted down. They weren't really livable. And we kept looking. And then about two weeks before we hit the road, we found 1985 Volkswagen Vanagon, which is the next level of the, the Volkswagen iconic buses, the Westphalia, right in our backyard in um, Mobile, Alabama. It was a family heirloom, well taken care of, and it was the one for us. It was just, again, the universe kind of just, I don't know, it opened up for me. That's so cool. Okay, so you name your van <laughs> Irie? Irie, yes. Tell me about the name. Yeah, Irie means powerful and pleasing. It's a state of mind, like a higher vibration. It's originally from the Caribbean, from Trinidad and Tobago. And, it's, you know, it's patois and it's very like a very, you know, sacred type of you know, word in the Rastafari culture and in also my culture, you know, you're walking down the street, somebody say, hey, how everything? And it's like everything I remind, you know, it's, it's comes from a place of just humility and gratitude, right? And it's, it's also a state of mind. And I feel like that's, that's what I was looking for. What was it like growing up on the, on the Caribbean? Like, what, what, were you always outdoorsy? I mean, na- na- the natural world is such a big yeah. part of island life. Right. Well, I grew up very close to nature, in nature, actually. I grew up in a small fishing village in a rainforest um, on the island of Trinidad, right, on the southeastern coast of the island. And yeah, nature was my backyard. Like every day I woke up, you know, in the jungle, hollow monkeys in my backyard. My family, they were fishermen their whole life, hunters and fishermen. And, you know, my mom grew up working on the... um, the cocoa plantation and tapping rubber trees, uh, you know, as children. And that was our life. And, you know, the idea of the outdoors is really different from what I know here in America. I mean, that was just life. We never call it hiking or backpacking. It was life, right? Nature is a part of me. And it's always been a part of me. You know, I had to adapt to a different way of doing the outdoors here, especially as a Black identifying woman in in America. But... um, but it will always be a part of me and I will always be a part of it. Nature was an essential part of Naomi's childhood, but when she was 17, her relationship with the outdoors started to change. She moved to the United States to start her freshman year at the University of New Orleans. During college, she met Dustin at a party and they got married two years later. Even though Naomi and Dustin had talked about their dream to travel the country since the day they met, they quickly settled into the status quo. But in 2016, the pair revived the idea of a more nomadic lifestyle, and they decided to quit their jobs, or at least they tried to. Dustin seems pretty cool, so he had to quit his job too. Yeah, well, he he actually tried to quit his job, but we were so fortunate. He went in that day, we both actually, we planned it together. We're like, okay, we're going in today and we're gonna go quit our jobs. Right. So I went in, quit my job and he came home and he said, my boss offered me a remote position. (laughs) I was so stunned by that, which was really great because we were prepared to try to figure it out. We had a little bit saved. We sold off almost all of our possessions to make extra money for the year of travel. And and then he came home and said that his boss offered him a part time remote position so that was actually such a blessing because it gave us, you know, the space to to figure it out. Yeah, the money part is the probably the hardest part that people deal with when they make a leap 
to quit their job and pursue something else. For me, I had saved enough where I was like, okay, I can make it work. But then I was like, oh, it's really hard to make money on your own. And then the, the hardest part for me, and I don't know about for you, is if something went wrong, it's like, no, it's you. You're your own boss. Like you don't have anybody to blame at the water cooler. <laughs> you are responsible for all victories and all failures. Yeah, well, you know, I... I think that's probably the second hardest thing besides like adapting to a tiny space with a new lifestyle with another person. I think, you know, dealing with the uncertainty of of finances was really difficult for me. I mean, I was fully dependent on Dustin's job, which was the first time in my life as an adult that I was ever dependent. It was an identity crisis. Let me just, you know, go out and say I was going through an identity crisis. You know, but I took that time to really delve deeper into, you know, the things that I had put on the back burner, my passion for the outdoors, my passion for writing. I felt a calling to photography. So, you know, I couldn't afford a good camera. So I kind of bought an adaptable lens for my iPhone and I just started playing around with photos, you know, not to say that that solved all, you know, my identity problems or my financial issues, you know, that was still there, but it gave me something to do. So what do you guys do? Well, my partner still works remote as a construction estimator. He also uh, manages Irie to Aurora as a creator platform. So we create content, you know, in partnership with brands. I'm also a writer. I'm writing my first book. I also work in the DEI space. So I do consulting for a few different um, small companies. Yeah, I do so much. How do you decide when to work and when to not work? Yeah, well, I am a bit of a workaholic (laughs) because I love what I do now, you know, and I hate using that word. But, you know, the for me, the idea of blurring the line between work and play has always been the dream. And now I'm able to do that. So sometimes it takes like my partner and my dog pulling me away from my computer to go for a walk or to like get out of the van or something. But yeah, they, they help me a lot. But sometimes, you know, I set like I I do like, you know, time chunking where I work for a few hours and then I play for a few hours. So that's that's helped. I'm a morning person. I feel as a writer, as a creator, I have more energy in the mornings and I'm able to create better and easier in the mornings. Whereas like in the afternoons, I'm exhausted. My brain is fried. You know, I need a nap. I'm grumpy. You know, I need a, you know, another cup of coffee. But so I work. I work in the mornings mostly. Speaking from experience, working for yourself is both a blessing and a curse. You're in charge of your workload and your schedule, which is great, but it's also challenging to wear multiple hats and to force yourself to sit down and work, especially when you're driving around the country in a van, camping in beautiful locations. When we come back, Naomi talks about her magical trip to Alaska, the isolation that comes with living on the road, and why she started a movement called Diversify Van Life. Naomi and Dustin left in 2016 on what was supposed to be a year-long trip driving from Louisiana to Alaska. They called their trip Irie to Aurora after the name of their van, Irie, and the inspiration behind this whole journey, Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights. 
But what started as a planned trip with an end date quickly morphed into something else, something much bigger. Naomi and Dustin have now been living the van life for six years. When did you leave? Like what month and year did you leave? for van life? So we left New Orleans in April 16, 2016. And it was supposed to be a one-year journey, then back to our regularly scheduled lives. But six months in, we decided that we wanted to continue um, in van life, continue sustaining this lifestyle, and finally made it to Alaska in July of 2021, last year. You know, I feel like everything that could get in our way got in our way from making it to Alaska, from breakdowns to the pandemic to, you know, family challenges, things like that. And when we finally made it there in September, we decided, okay, it's getting cold, but we don't want to leave until we see the aurora, right? So we decided to have one more adventure in Alaska. And before I, I jump into like actually seeing the aurora, I have dreamt of Alaska ever since I was a little girl growing up in Trinidad. I used to watch National Geographic documentaries on my parents' small black and white television with the bunny ears and just be so stunned and just so awestruck that a place like Alaska existed. And it was always a dream that I had. And when I came to America, that dream, you know, I brought that dream with me. It's like, okay, someday I'm going to do that. But in the process of growing, right? Life and becoming an adult. That dream got buried along with my dream of visiting all the national parks and so many other things. For that dream to finally come to fruition, I was just in awe. I remember that night in Fairbanks, Alaska, standing on top of Irie's rooftop and looking up at the sky, the Aurora Borealis just dancing. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It's so cool that you can be so touched by nature. And and I'm just imagining growing up in the Caribbean, how radical Alaska <laughs> would be. So radical. My parents were just, my family, my sisters, every day they would message me, oh my God, what did you see? What What's happening there? What's, what's Alaska like? They were just so stoked for me. So to get into the nitty gritty a little bit, how do you guys decide where you're going next or how long you're going to stay? All that stuff. Yeah. So Dustin and I don't really plan too much ahead. Like I said, Van Life is, is really unpredictable and we live close to the elements. So we like to follow the warmth. So 75 degrees and sunny is the ideal climate for us living in a van, especially like an old tin can like ours, right? We don't really have much insulation. So we, we try to be in the ideal, comfortable climate. So wherever it's warm is where we go. Um, we also practice slow travel, which means that we like to stay in a place for a while. So if you know we're in the Zion area, we'll stick around here for a couple of weeks or or maybe a month, and just you know learn the place, right? Immerse ourselves in local community, like eat at the local restaurants, like visit the coffee shops and the libraries, make friends, like hike the trails, go swimming in the rivers. That sort of travel helps us to to find some kind of, I guess, routine in a lifestyle where, you know, it's really unpredictable. So slow travel is, is 
usually how how we roll. And, you know, sometimes we will plan like if it's a road trip, say, or we're going to go on a vacation and turn off our phones or, you know, but beyond that, you know, it's mostly following 75 and sunny, the ideal climate. Seventy-five and sunny sounds pretty perfect to me. I'm a little envious that Naomi and Dustin can just follow the good weather or seek out an adventure or go somewhere new just because. But van life isn't all warm weather and perfect landscapes. Living in 80 square feet with your partner and a large dog can be challenging. There's not a lot of personal space or alone time. Even so, it can still be really lonely. Being on the road for really long times seems like it could get lonely. Like, how is it for you guys during the pandemic? <sighs> that was a, a really tough time. Early pandemic, well, early van life, you know, we we felt like something was missing, right? I mean, we left our, our home in New Orleans, our community, our friends, our family. And New Orleans is the greatest city in the world. We were never bored. And most of the people that we were meeting on the road were like retirees living in their RVs. We didn't really know that hashtag van life was actually a thing, right? Nor did we know anyone that was living this lifestyle. So it was really isolating for us. And even though, you know, we were together, even though I had a partner and he had me, we still felt really lonely. It was just something that we couldn't shake. And that was the thing that, you know, the big thing that had us wondering if this was something that we could continue doing because it was it was a lot and we were going through a lot of other changes like jumping into a new lifestyle right quitting our jobs the identity crisis things like that and then we saw online that there was a van life gathering in bend oregon and we never heard of a van gathering like oh wow an event of humans that live in vans that's a thing and that was the first time we found community on the road. Of course, we packed up everything and drove like, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours from Yellowstone all the way to Bend, Oregon for this event. And it changed our life on the road. I feel like Oregon is the Mecca for that kind of stuff because <laughs> I was there and there was this huge van life gathering in 2017 or 2018 that I went to. It was so cute. Oh, wow. Were you the only woman of color at this gathering, though? I'm just curious. I and another woman, she is indigenous. Yeah, and we're, we're good friends now. She's um, Dakota Sioux. And yeah, she, we were both the only uh, woman of color there. Yeah. Can you talk about that? What's it like being a woman of color who does van life? Because that isn't something that was out there. Like most of the people that I know who live in vans were white dudes. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's what I, you know, what I mostly met on the journey. It was isolating for sure. It was uh, scary at times, but I'm fortunate that I traveled with Dustin. Like I took advantage of his white male privilege for sure, especially when it came to like police encounters. But yeah, it, it was an isolating time for sure. Have you met more like, I mean, with diversified van life, you have to have met so many more people oh, and yeah. more people doing it now. We out cool. here. We out here. <laughs> we out here. <laughs> so let's talk about Diversify Van Life. What was the moment you decided to start it? And can you talk about the collaborative nature of the platform? Yeah, well, Diversify Van Life has started out of frustration, right? I, uh, you know, it was the summer of 2019 and 
We were going to all these van life events. I mean, it was stoke levels were so high for that summer. So we were all just like connecting and building community, you know, attending all these community events and such. But the missing piece was that I didn't see any people of color. I was one off the only one at most van life events. And that really started taking a toll on me because the stories that I was hearing were all the same. They didn't resonate with me. They were, you know, very privileged, you know, some of them. And that's valid for for who you are. You know, everyone's story is valid. But it did not include other people that I knew were living on the margins of this lifestyle. Was I the only Black-identifying woman? Was I the only BIPOC living that life? Absolutely not. I was not the only one. You know, it took a toll on me at a van life event in... Uh, Taos, New Mexico, where community town hall conversation was about van life in the media and, you know, the stories that were being told and the romanticization of the lifestyle. And, you know, that is a fact, but the idea was that we have no control over the media. And that's, that's not necessarily true. We were controlling the media We were controlling the narrative that were out there because we were perpetuating that narrative by excluding voices from people from our community. We were, they were excluded, they were marginalized and they were isolated from telling their stories because they weren't allowed. Their stories weren't being amplified. They weren't past the mic. It was all exclusive. And at that point, you know, there was these two, two men in there, white men, and they dominated the conversation, even though there were like other people, many women who were trying to speak and they weren't allowed to speak. And one of the the men mentioned, if you just walk upright in the world and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, everything is going to work out for you. And I'm there thinking, how are you going to walk upright in the world when you got oppression on your shoulders every day, right? And that was the last straw. I walked out of that room livid. And I turned around and I saw some of my friends walk out the room with the same look of exasperation on their faces. We walked over to my van. I cried out of rage and decided to do something about it. And I decided to speak up. I was terrified. But, you know, a week later on a social media post, I spoke the truth about the van life community and the lack of representation and the harmful, dangerous narratives that are being put out into the world. Because it's perpetuating stereotypes. It's, it's creating barriers to entry for people like me. And then I started the hashtag Diversify Van Life. And the hashtag then turned into an uh, Instagram platform because people were asking for it. I was actually pretty shocked of how much you know, people would mobilize around the idea of diversify van life, but they did. And I decided to turn it into, into a social media platform. And now it's a community organization. What started as a hashtag in 2019 has become an incredible resource for BIPOC and LGBTQ people who want to get outside. In 2021, the community created the BIPOC guide to van life and the outdoors. The guide offers tips and advice for people who want to try van life, but who haven't necessarily felt welcome in that space and want more information. They also have a podcast called Nomads at the Intersection. 
Naomi isn't only hustling to make a living as a digital nomad, but she's also working to make the space more accessible and welcoming. It's hard work, but she's happy to do it for a community she plans to be part of for a very long time. Are you feeling like van life is the place for you for the foreseeable future? Yeah, yeah. I I don't see an end in sight, to be honest with you. (laughs) Yeah, I, I really love love this lifestyle. It's, you know, it's freeing in ways that I could not have imagined. It's hard. It keeps me on my toes. It's uncomfortable. And I I like that. I like unpredictability and I like changing environments and meeting new people and trying different things. What is life for? Naomi bucked the norm and left behind a life she thought she was supposed to have. What she found on the road was adventurous, challenging, and freeing. Don't be afraid to leave behind a life that's weighing you down for a life that just might lift you up. Naomi, thank you so much for the conversation and for sharing your beautiful story and lessons with me. You can follow Naomi at irietoaurora.com and irietoaurora on Instagram. That's I-R-I-E-T-O-A-U-R-O-R-A. You can also check out Diversify Van Life at diversifyvanlife.com and on Instagram at diversify.vanlife. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas of Puddle Creative, and our senior producer is Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we love it when you follow this show, rate it, and review it wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas.